Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3 to 9 scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at rightonoptics.com. That's right on R I T O N optics.com. On this episode, I talk with guest Adam Wright of the Sportsman's Alliance, go over common post-rut mistakes, and cover basic safety tips as we get closer to the Wisconsin Gun Deer Opener. Hunt, 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 Welcome to the Where to Hunt podcast, the podcast that connects public land hunting enthusiasts. Today is November 11th. This is episode 27, and I am your host, Eric Clark. Today, joining me on the show will be Adam Wright of the Sportsman's Alliance. Uh, he is the Director of State Services, and uh, we're going to cover a, um, a bill that's being expanded in Wisconsin. More specifically, it's the Families of Field expansion, um, which basically covers or will um, allow kids to get into hunting based on their parents' discretion in terms of their age, how old you are. And I remember thinking back to when I started hunting, um, I was a bit older actually, but um, I think 16, but I was definitely wanting to do it at a much earlier age. And I forget, you know, childhood's all way, way, way long ago what had kept me from getting into it. But that doesn't mean I didn't spend a crap ton of time outdoors anyways. I just wasn't uh, wielding any firearms or bows or anything like that yet. Um, but, you know, kids are young and impressionable, and I think being outdoors is a, is a great thing for kids as opposed to picking up, um, you know, an iPad or an iPhone or an Android and a PlayStation or an Xbox or whatever it might be that's taking all their attention. Instead, get them outside. You know, the, the, when you're young, you're so impressionable, and not, not in a way that's going to be molded into um, promoting hunting, which likely will be the case, but um, your memories are so vivid as a child, and those, are, those first memories are so, so, so important. And when you're outside, you have a greater impact of creating better memories than if you're staring at a freaking screen. So um, great topic. I'm going to go ahead and just bring on our guest because he knows way more about the topic than I would ever hope to, considering his uh, professional background. So without, without further ado, here he comes. All right. Our guest of the week this week is Adam Wright. He is the Associate Director of State Services for the Sportsman's Alliance. Welcome to the show, Adam. Uh, thanks a lot, and thanks for having me. Yeah, man, absolutely. Um, I was pretty excited to learn about what you guys are doing as an organization across the board in general, but there's a specific thing that uh, you guys are doing that's going to affect Wisconsin. Uh, so we'll get into that in a minute. Let's have you just simply uh, introduce yourself to the audience, um, you know, what you do specifically, other than just calling off your title. Right, sure. So, again, I'm from the Sportsman's Alliance uh, for those who aren't aware of what we do, uh, we are a national organization solely dedicated to the mission of protecting and advancing the rights and interests of sportsmen and women across the country. Uh, so that is uh, our specific focus. Um, we do work in all 50 states, uh, state legislatures and Congress, uh, monitoring legislation, um, attacks from the, other, from the other side, from the anti-hunting community. Um, our job is to be there to protect and advance rights of hunters and fishermen and trappers across the country. Um, I'm the Associate Director of State Services. 
Um, what my job entails is monitoring and tracking state legislation, um, so state-based legislation in state legislatures um, across the country. And I manage our advocacy at the state level um, on sportsmen's issues wherever they arise. Um, so that's, that's kind of what we do. Um, and again, my focus is state-based legislation like uh, what we're doing in Wisconsin. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's pretty awesome, man, when you talk about kind of the, the overall conservationism and protecting hunters from anti-hunters and, and, and that kind of stuff. Getting at it this way and kind of ingraining yourself at the state level is um, how do you monitor that? How do you stay up to speed with every state? Are you just kind of ma- like manually kind of infiltrating the, the different websites and, and kind of uh, sure. what's going on? So, sure. So we have a uh, we have a, um, a, a internet based um, service that helps me out a lot. Um, but basically, um, you know, my job first thing in the morning is to uh, check different different uh, bills and, and different state legislatures. Um, and just really go through and make sure that we're not missing anything. And then, uh, you know, we have a process to review different bills. Um, you know, we've got a lot of contacts uh, in the sportsman's community across the country that we work with in different states. And, uh, you know, then, you know, after we identify uh, issues that are out there that we should be working on, then, you know, there's a whole host of uh, different actions and different levels of engagement that we can, um, that we can pursue. Uh, but yeah, it all starts with uh, it all starts with me just uh, keeping an eye out across the country on uh, what's going on out there. Man, you got to have a lot of knowledge up on that noggin of yours. <laughs> Being that aware, it's kind of cool. Um, yeah, well, I mean, you know, someone uh, someone has to do it. It's a uh, it's a it's a neat job. It's it's a passion of mine. I um, I always wanted to get into this industry and and do this kind of work. So um, I really enjoy it. Yeah, that's good to hear. No, it's really cool to hear. Um, before we, before we dive into the actual topic for, for how it's, how, like what you're doing is affecting Wisconsin in a positive way. Uh, we'll just kind of take a lighter note here. How, how long have you been hunting? I have been involved in hunting, um, or uh, hunting myself for as long as I can remember. My, um, my dad is a, is a huge, uh, a huge hunter. Um, he's, uh, he's actually a, um, a dog hunter. Uh, so he's always maintained a, a medium sized kennel. Um, and I grew up around rabbit dogs, coon dogs, and, and squirrel dogs. So uh, my passion uh, personally is beagles. Um, and about every chance I, I can get, I, I get out and run rabbits with my dogs. Um, there's, there's nothing better to me than um, watching a, a young dog of mine progress and, and really hit their stride. Um, I do, I do uh, occasionally take part in other kinds of hunting. Obviously, I, I, uh, I take advantage of our deer gun season here. Um, and I'll go, you know, I've got a lot of different friends that do different types of hunting. So, I mean, I, I get out and do whatever I can, whenever I can, but my specialty is definitely uh, rabbit hunting with beagles. That's a cool thing. It's a really cool thing. You talk about the dog hitting its stride. It's gotta be a really cool thing yeah. to watch, seeing them do what they're bred to do, you know, and getting good at it. Absolutely. So you already answered one of my questions, which is favorite animal hunt. We got that figured out when you're doing this stuff with the dogs. Are you hunting public or private? Uh, a little bit of both. I've got a lot of I've got a lot of connections just growing up doing it. Um, you know, farmers around where I grew up uh, that that allow me to go on their land. Um, but there are there are several very good um, mine reclamation uh, um, public spots around Ohio that uh, offer some pretty good rabbit hunting. So it's a it's a mixture of both. It's cool. 
It's good to hear. I like. I, I'm a huge public land advocate, so that that's why the question. Um, Absolutely, it's important. It's very important. It is. It's it really is. It's a big issue that a lot of people have a lot of disdain for for some weird reason. You know, it's a privilege to be able to have that type of access, and I think it's part of our heritage. Um, but one one thing you mentioned is you've been hunting as as far back as you can remember, and that's kind of uh, fringing on the topic of discussion, which is the uh, the bill that we're going to be talking about, which is if if I'm correct, it's families of field expansion. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, so basically, what we what we have going on is uh, a part of the what we what we call the families of field program. Okay. Uh, what families of field is? It was uh, established in 2004. It was a joint project between the Sportsman's Alliance, the National Shooting Sports Foundation, and the National Wild Turkey Federation. Uh, basically, there's a couple different components of the, pro- of, the, of the program. It's a state-by-state uh, legislative campaign where we try to do a couple things. Uh, the, the first and most important of which is the concept of a mentored hunting program, which allows uh, newcomers to hunting to actually go out and experience hunting and, and try hunting without the, the whole um, entire process of a hunter education course. Right. Um, now these folks have to go out, obviously, with a um, an experienced uh, mentor um, supervising them, and so uh, that's that's one um, component of it. Uh, in Wisconsin, Wisconsin actually does have a mentor hunting program right now, um, but what we're looking to do is we're looking to uh, just make a couple of changes to strengthen that program um, and bring it up to uh, to the point where we think the folks in Wisconsin are going to see the greatest benefit um, in recruitment and really driving uh, recruitment of new hunters. Um, The first thing that we're trying to do is we are going to be eliminating the minimum age um, to take part in the mentor hunting program. So right now there's a a minimum age of 10, um, and our bill would uh, go ahead and eliminate that. Um, Really the concept that we're driving home here is it, it really should be the parents' decision uh, whether or not their children are um, experienced or mature enough to take part in the program. Right. Um, you know, there, there's really no, it, it's really kind of an arbitrary line, um, you know, wherever you're drawing that line. And what really matters is the maturity of that individual child. So uh, who better to make that decision than the parents? So that's number one. Um, and then number two is a, is a smaller change. Um, well, maybe not, not, not necessarily smaller change, but uh, it drives at another, um, another slight prohibition in the current program where a, uh, a mentor and a mentored hunter are only allowed in Wisconsin to have one gun or bow uh, between the two of them. And the importance of this, uh, of eliminating that restriction um, is, is the fact that it does uh, serve as a disincentive for somebody that uh, might otherwise be willing to serve as a mentor. Um, you know, say you only get a couple days to go out hunting a year, um, you're probably going to be a little bit uh, less inclined to serve as a mentor for, for a child or for a buddy um, or for, you know, a buddy's child if you have to give up your opportunity to carry an implement and, and potentially take an animal. So those are the two. Um, those are the two components of our legislation: uh, one, eliminating the uh, minimum age, and two, uh, eliminating that one gun restriction that you guys have currently in the state. 
So, and, and I'm, I'm pretty uh, daft when it comes to some of the things that you're able to leverage being a part of, or, you know, working for the Sportsman's Alliance and what the Sportsman's Alliance can actually do to help leverage getting that done. H- how does the Sportsman, the Sportsman's Alliance actually, um, not, not specifically work with Wisconsin and our legislator to get it, to get it moved, but just being the organization that's pushing that through, is that, is that what creates some of the pressure on, on our legislator to, to get accomplished? If that makes any sense. Uh- Sure, sure. Well, it's a uh, it's a full range of uh, of on the ground lobbying, um, as well as coalition building with the sportsmen's community in the state. Uh, we've got, you know, outside of the families of field partners that I mentioned, uh, the National Rifle Association and the Congressional Sportsmen's Foundation, as far as na- uh, national organizations, are also uh, supporters of the families of field concept. Um, but we've also got several uh, in-state organizations. The uh, NWTF in-state mm-hmm. is uh, supportive. The Wisconsin Bear Hunters Association, the Wisconsin Bow Hunters Association, and the uh, local uh, state chapters of Safari Club International. So it's really going in and uh, approaching these uh, groups who you know are inclined to support the concept anyways, but getting them... Uh, getting the sportsman's community behind it, and then really going to the legislature, uh, finding folks to sponsor the bill, and shepherding it through legislative process is uh, is kind of our specialty. So it's uh, a whole range of, of different services that we provide to really really uh, make this thing a reality. That's pretty awesome. I, I really don't see any problem with it at all. I'm, I'm trying to think back. You know, I'm going to be 30, so <laughs> I'm trying to think back when I got into hunting, and I remember being... I think back then for me, it was, you had to be age 12 to, to qualify for hunter safety. And I, at that point in time, I don't know, recall what the mentor program was like. Cause I was a kid, I wasn't mm. pervy to that. Um, but I remember, you know, feeling excited to get out there. I really wanted to hunt. And I, I, I'm certain that at that age, I think I would have been capable of handling it. And my, my dad could have made the judgment call, no problem, you know? So that would have been a couple more years of experience. Maybe I would have gotten a bigger buck by now for me. Cause as a deer hunter, you could, you could always use all the experience you can get, but I don't know if, a, if it's up to the parent. I don't see the problem, honestly. You know, if you think your kid's ready, sure, then sure. they're ready. That right? You said like who who who's to me the better judge of that? Some arbitrary absolutely. age that we've selected, or, or the yeah, absolutely. And that's the uh, and that's the point that we really try to drive home. Um, now we we do run into um, you know reluctance from time to time in different states where we bring this concept to that you know, maybe there's going to be some safety concerns with having uh, younger children out there in the field. Um, But what we can tell you with the data that we have uh, based on all the different states that have have enacted this into law since 2004, what we can say is that a a mentored hunter is not only safe, they're the safest hunter in the woods. Um, That to the tune of five times safer as far as uh, hunting-related incidents. So, and, and if you think about it, uh, it, it makes sense because these, these are, are folks that are under the watchful eye of a, of a mentor, you know, directly beside them. Uh, you know, they're not, they're paying a little bit more attention and you've got another set of eyes uh, on the person as well. So um, a lot of what we run into opposition-wise uh, when we do is just that safety concern of, well, We've always had this minimum age, um, or we've always done things this way. Uh, you know, there's a little bit of reluctance to introduce something new, um, 
an unknown to, to some extent. But uh, what we can tell you is that we know that these folks are safe. Uh, these kids are going to be safe. And again, you know, it's who who better who has the interests of a child at heart uh, more than their parents. So that that's who we we believe that the uh, that the decision should should rest with. Absolutely. And you made you made a really good point earlier too about you know, I, I have the bill like the some of the verbiage of the of the bill actually quoted here in the show notes that I have, and it's something that you brought up already where it allows the mentor uh, to actually bring a, a weapon as well to take an animal. And it, when you talk about, you know, the Sportsman's Alliance is, a, is an organization that helps to advance or there helps in the advancement of hunting and conservationism um, in, in terms of getting more people afield and into the woods and, and out enjoying the sport so we can continue to enjoy the sport as a, as a, as a whole. Um, yeah, it's going, to, it's going to encourage more people to go down that path and, and do, oh, I'll mentor, sure, why not? You know, we can, you know, we can both go this way. Like it, it, it takes out, like you said, um, well, maybe not this weekend because I really want to get out. I had my eyes set on whatever it is I'm trying to get, you know, it's a really cool thing to, to kind of incentivize people to get out there. That's right. And, and incentivize and incentivize folks to, uh, take someone along with them that, that doesn't know a lot about hunting, you know, or, or a child or, um, you know, get, get other folks involved in our sport. Cause really what we're talking about here is, we're talking about the future of hunting in this in this country and in Wisconsin specifically. Um, if you look at our demographics, uh, average hunter, the age is getting older. Our numbers have started to dwindle. Um, and really what we're looking at here with families afield and with what we're talking about, the changes that we want to make in Wisconsin, is doing everything that we can to market what we do to as many people as possible um, because, if, quite frankly, if we don't grow our numbers and we don't uh, keep pace, there are plenty of individuals and plenty of organizations out there that, that we come across every day that want to take want to take it away from us. Um, and so it's very, very critically important that we take on this issue of recruitment and retention and, and make sure that we expose as many young people, as many non-traditional audiences to, to hunting, and the Families of Field program is a great way to do that. Yeah, which is exactly why you're on the show today, <laughs> or one of the reasons, I suppose. So, <laughs> so that all that all said, and and hopefully we reach enough people that you know we get a little bit more a- action on this side uh, here in Wisconsin with the people, you know, boots on the ground. I know you mentioned you're working with some of the the local Safari Club International chapters here, in Wisconsin, which uh, I know quite a few of the members there, uh, some good people there. The the uh, thing that I have for you for the regular, you know, Joe Schmo, the the average hunters out there. What what can we do to to participate in supporting the Sportsman's Alliance? You know, how do or, or how should they get involved um, to kind of propel this through? Absolutely. Well, the 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 first the first thing that they can do is just be engaged, be informed, be engaged, uh, listening to shows like this, um, understanding what's going on, being willing to contact their state legislators. Um, when issues like this arise, uh, I would encourage folks to, to contact their, their representatives and their senators um, in support of Senate Bill 301 and Assembly Bill 411, which, are the, uh, the, which is the legislation that we've been talking about, the Families of Field Expansion. Um, the other thing that they can do is become involved with the Sportsman's Alliance itself. Um, in order for us to achieve our mission, we need two basic things. We need active, interested, and involved sportsmen. Uh, but we also, importantly, 
We also need the resources and financial support to continue operating, continue doing what we do. Yeah, bottom line um, is the bottom line. Sometimes it takes money right. to get that's things right. done. So yeah, that's right. Makes so sense. people can. Uh, so people are interested uh, in joining as a member. They can help uh, join as an individual member. Uh, we've got uh, many uh, or several different membership levels. Uh, each comes with a unique package of uh, of incentive items that you get: uh, hats. Um, you get access to our uh, monthly publication, um, a gift card, etc. Um, and if folks are interested in checking those out, uh, they can just uh, do so at our website. It's sportsmansalliance.org. Again, that's sportsmansalliance.org, um, or you can just Google Sportsman's Alliance. It'll come right up. Um, and right there at the front page is going to be a, an option to join now. And I, I would, again, really encourage folks to think about that because, again, it's our future that's on the line. Um, and, you know, this isn't uh, necessarily, you know, a, a membership or fundraising uh, pitch, you know, my reason for coming on the show, but it's important. It's important for us to be able to have that support and be able to continue to do what we do. Yeah. And honestly enough, uh, just, just so everyone that listening knows, I mean, you expressed even before I brought you on onto the actual show that you're doing what you're doing because you're passionate about it, you know, and, and to do things um, and live for the process and the passion is a much greater good than, okay, well, there's monetary value. You have to have a job, but this is a job that sounds like you really love. That's right. That's right. And, and I can, and I can say without a doubt that every one of us that works here at this organization, uh, is a hunter participates in hunting, um, and out and other outdoor sports. And, uh, you know, we really, uh, we really live the, live what we're talking. We live what we, uh, what we're working on. And so it's, uh, it's important to all of us. Um, and hopefully, you know, you guys will, will, uh, just, uh, check us out and, you know, hopefully you can join as a member and, uh, you know, we can just have that much more support and be able to do even more, um, you know, with the limited resources that we have. Absolutely. Well, cool. Um, Adam, thank you so much again for, for taking time to be on the show. I really appreciate it, man. I think you covered the, the, the topic very well. It's very informative, and uh, it'll hopefully land in a lot of ears. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate the uh, the opportunity to come on your show. And, again, hopefully, uh, you know, folks that are listening to this podcast are willing and engaged and, uh, you know, just want to join us in the in the battle, not only there, uh, that we have going on in Wisconsin, but uh, – wherever they arise around the country. We think it's important and uh, we hope you'll join us. Cool. I'm sure you'll, I'm sure many will. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually deciding if I should join as an individual member or as a business, I'm trying to make that decision myself. So you'll have, you'll have at least one. (laughs) Sure. Good to go. Well, thanks again, man. Have, have a great night. All right. Absolutely. You too. Thanks. Yeah. Bye. Looking for a spot to hunt? Download the free Where to Hunt app for your smartphone today. Avoid hunters, see less people, see more deer. With the Where to Hunt app, you will know where other hunters are before you see them. Just search Where to Hunt from the App Store to download today. All right, the tip of the week. Post rut mistakes. Um, I am no expert, and I make mistakes all the time. Uh, it's part of what I do. 
And given that fact, I think there's a lot that can be learned from mistakes. If you're not learning anything from your mistakes, well, then you're not doing something right. But nonetheless, uh, don't put away the deer gear. Don't don't put it away after peak peak rut season. Don't do it. Um, a lot of a lot of well bucks. When, when they're done with the rut, they're exhausted, they're tired, they need to recuperate, they need to, uh, they're physically depleted. Um, so the, the rut's very demanding on, on these animals and uh, feeding becomes incredibly important to kind of revitalize themselves and kind of get their strength back and rest. So um, a lot of times from what a lot of different articles and people say and things like that, they don't really travel too far back. If they don't return back to their actual um, quote unquote home, they're likely not gonna go that far. Uh, additionally, on one of our former episodes, we talked a little bit about, you know, uh, smart bucks tend to go to to the same places. If, if one buck is at a particular spot that is bedding down, that spot that's chosen is a, is a buck bedding area for a reason. There's obviously an advantage for that animal to be in that spot based on, you know, how it can, how it can, you know, sense the wind and use that to its advantage, how, what, what point of view does it get what vantage point does it have and also um you know scent obviously is a big thing or hearing or whatever it might be so these bucks will go to specific spots time and time again whether whether it's the same buck or not um that particular spot that a buck was at will likely hold another buck um maybe not right away but nonetheless um you know don't put away the gear right away so that's that's one of the big things they're not going to travel very, very far, if if at all, depending on how, how infiltrated that spot was during the hunt, if it was burned out or not. Um, and then not using peak of the rut techniques during second stress cycle. It's another note that I have here. Um, most does bred during the peak of the rut, but uh, as again discussed on a previous episode with uh, our DNR uh, expert, Kevin Wallenfang, he had mentioned that there's a second phase of the rut. Now it's not nearly as um, intense or anything of that nature, but there are does that weren't bred that come back into a stress causing a smaller, less actively charged rut peak. So use some of the same tools and tactics that you're using before. You know, um, make sure you don't forget your calls at home or anything like that. I dropped mine in the woods this year, which sucked. Um, So I had to go buy another one. And, uh, you know, get your, your antlers if you're doing that. Don't stop using your scents, things of that nature. Um, one last tip as the season kind of gets further along, and we'll probably talk about this more as the season uh, draws out further past opening gun for here in Wisconsin, but hunting frigidly cold temperatures is a, something that recently came to mind. Um, when I was talking to someone, they said, you know, really, th- when, it, when it gets really, really cold outside, the, the deer need to eat more. So the, the, the amount of, uh, or the frequency that deer will eat during the day or the duration of the day when it's colder, um, does increase. So you might get more daytime movement because the, because they're so cold, they simply have to eat. So again, going back to your food sources and hunting those, uh, even during midday could, could, um, eventually be very successful. So those are my tips for post rut mistakes, nothing major, um, you know, just things to think about. We'll go ahead and get onto our next topic here. So 
So this is interesting. I spent some time looking for hunting incident reports on the web for uh, many states, including Wisconsin. I always start there, and I like to just simply report that uh, we haven't had an incident since October 12th, so freaking keep it up. That's awesome. Keep hunting safe. I love it. Um, really exciting. Additionally, South Dakota is screwed. They're so be glad if you're a pheasant hunter. Holy crap. I wonder what the uh, percentage of or the increased percentage of uh, injuries are when you're a pheasant hunter. My gosh, their injury uh, incident report is like a mile long and every one of them is hunter swung on bird and shot other hunter. Um, a lot of them aren't fatal, but my goodness gracious, that's pretty, pretty crazy. Um, the the thing that did catch my eye quite quite most like most frequently actually is the number of um, hunting incident reports that involved uh, tree stand safety and, and problems. A lot of them were just simply people falling out of their tree stands. So as we're heading into the the gun opener here in Wisconsin on uh, November twenty first, which is less than two weeks away, um, there's gonna be a lot of people climbing back into the stand. And there's a couple things that the DNR Wisconsin DNR site go, goes over, uh, which is simply tree stand safety so get a full body harness if you don't have one they're not terribly expensive there's some that are better than others in terms of comfort and uh, usability how quick and easy it is to to put on Um, and wear it wear your full body harness Uh, it says literally 82 percent of hunters who fall from tree stands are not wearing their full body harness 82 percent furthermore these new fandangled um, safety harnesses are much safer insofar as if you actually fall out than the old school ones that you'd wrap around your chest under your armpits. So um, to make it even better still with these full body harnesses, there's also, um, what is it called? Like the tow rope or whatever that, that kind of carries you up. Um, I'm trying to find the note that I had here. I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not getting an actual thing here, but you know, don't, don't, don't load your weapon up. Uh, make sure your, your firearm is unloaded when you carry it up. Um, once you're actually in your stand and buckled in and safe, all that stuff, um, you know, just be safe out there. And, and some of the other incident reports, you know, I cover these and I try to be slightly comical about it, but some are fatal. So I would say, um, additionally, you know, there's a lot of people that are, not aware of their target and beyond. That's one of the biggest things outside of tree stand injuries, um, unless you're in South Dakota, of course, and you're, you know, bird hunting. Um, you know, the app that we promote in our own podcast, the Where to Hunt app, has has got um, substantially larger amounts of downloads, increasingly larger numbers in, in users over the last month or so as we're kind of gearing up here. And I expect that that number is going to continue to grow. We recently had a server... Um, issue where we had to actually migrate to a bigger server because so many people have been downloading and using the app. And I tell you what, the more people that are using this app, the better it is. You know, I, I've had people actually comment and message me. I didn't, I didn't know there was a hunter nearby, but when I, I, I downloaded your app, I looked it up. It no shit worked. It actually worked, and I saw a hunter that I wasn't aware of. That is a huge win. That's exactly what the app is intended to do. It's literally meant to make a safer hunt. So I'm getting all jacked up here about it because I really believe in its power to help create a safer hunt. And the more people that are using it, the better off it's going to be. Now there's some. Um, concern from passionate hunters that, you know, why, why would I tell someone where my hunting spot is? You know, who's to say that your hunting spot on public land, I might add, is actually that great. You know, I don't know. I don't have boots on the ground there. So just because I see a green dot doesn't mean that that's the place I'm going to go to. In fact, 
um, if I see someone hunting on this application, the Where to Hunt app, um, I'm not going to go where that person is. It's just not, it's not reality. I'm not going to go to where that person is. I've had people message me and tell me that, uh, you know, the app has been successful because their significant other family members know where they are in the woods, uh, a rough estimate when they show them on the map say, so I'm going to check on this app and, if, and you have it at home and you can check in, you can see where I am. So you know that I'm in the woods and safe. I used it with my dad the other week hunting. I knew he was in his tree stand texted me, said, I'm in your safe, but then he also checked in on the app. So in case something were to happen, because, you know, tree stands aren't that safe, luckily he does use a full body harness. But if something were to happen, um, not only do I know that maybe he didn't reach out to me when he was supposed to, but I know where he is. I can go find him specifically. I know where my buddies are when I'm going gun hunting. You know, I have a general idea, but it's great to see specifically where they are. I know where I'm shooting and what direction. People get confused and turn around in the woods all the time, and they have no idea where they are. Um, so again, if, if you're going out for, for the gun opener in a week and a half, um, I might not be recording another episode as we, as we near that date. So I just wanted to kind of hammer that point home, hunt safe, everyone. It's, it's very important that you get back home to your loved ones so you can eat the meal that you've, uh, so, so gratefully, re- you know, prepared. Um, that's all I have for today for my, for my rant about safety. Stay safe out there. Use your, use your uh, full body harness. If you don't have one, go get one. It's not that expensive. And when you get it, actually wear it, use it correctly. Um, make sure you read the instructions. Try testing out on, on, on the ground first to make sure you know what you have um, once you get it. And uh, be thankful that we're not in South Dakota hunting birds. So good luck on the gun opener on November 21st. Have a great weekend. United States.